fair to say you simply flooded the system with money? Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money um, digitally. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 70 of Pounding the Table. Tony's at the beach today, but Joey and I are in the booth grinding away. Going to start this episode quick with a recap of last week, but more importantly, we're going to start to look ahead first with Mercado Libre, State of SE. But again, we're going to really focus on the earnings this week with Zoom, Palo Alto, Intuit, NVIDIA, Salesforce, Peloton, Affirm, and many others coming up this week. So real quick, Joey, let's recap the Fed minutes. And then we also have Jackson Hole coming up on Friday, August 26th, which is the Fed's version of uh, the Bilderberg conference, if you will. So what we heard from the Fed was, I, I took it as a positive. So, you know, we've been getting 75 basis point rate hikes out of them. And you see that they're really trying to follow the data as, as they always claim to be. So what the gist of it was, and, and Reuters said it perfectly, that the minutes showed more rate hikes in the pipeline, but the pace could slow. So essentially, they might be going back to, you know, the half point, 25 basis point rate hikes and getting away from the 75s because inflation is still well above where they need to be. So they need that to come down. But they also really, really want that soft landing they keep talking about. So, you know, you can't just keep going at 75 basis points and expect to get that soft landing. So it was good to see that commentary, but you could tell the market was kind of confused because we... You know, we were down that day. We kind of like surged back a little bit, gave those gains away right away. And we've kind of been sideways and down since. So the market's really digesting those. But I want to see kind of what the next meeting entails before uh, I start playing that Fed game again. Do you think they're going to go to 50 basis points? I think that they will, or at least that's what they're going to, I guess, indicate going to the next one. But if inflation's still running rampant, they're, they're going to have to go like 75 and then say, okay, hey, next meeting where we're going either 25 or 50. The minutes kind of show from the last meeting, okay, hey, we're raising 75, but what do you think from here? And that's where they said, you know, we might slow the roll going forward. But I mean, that, that data or that meeting and the commentary is going to be dated by the time the next meeting rolls around. So at that point, they might think if a recession It'd be like if the recession is worsening, they could say, okay, we got to quickly get these hikes so then we can cut more next year. Or do they say the recession's so bad already, we've got to slow the roll of these hikes, but then, you know, forecast when rate cuts are going to come. So it's definitely not an easy job. And I think it all comes back to, you know, the Fed should have been raising rates much quicker as we were coming out of the pandemic, but them... I guess, not reacting as quickly as put them in this situation. So it's kind of like, you know, you made your own bed, you got to figure it out. But the issue with that is it's not just like their own household that's impacted by this. It's everyone in America, not to mention everybody invested in America outside of our country. So it's created quite a mess. So that's where they're like really wanting this soft landing because if they can't pull that off, then God knows how rocky it's really going to be. Just in time for the midterms, my friend. <laughs> Just in time for the midterms. It's all about optics. The summer run-up. SE, we talked about last week in Mercado Libre. You nailed that. You said if Garena shows, and we'll get the actual clip here in just a second. The one major thing you really want to watch for is the Garena unit in this upcoming report. That was the big moneymaker. That was like the profitable unit that funded the growth of everything else. So Garena allowed them to launch e-commerce, which loses a lot of money a year, and launch into the financial part, which, you know, lost a lot of money a year. And the issue there is Garena in this most recent quarter, in the first quarter, you know, had a 5% year-over-year decline in quarterly active users and a 23% year-over-year decline in quarterly paying users. So if you continue to see negative growth in the unit that funds the growth of everything else, you could see Shopee start making some adjustments or, or, you know, start, start paring back the spending that they're doing to grow so quickly in these other units. So while I love SC for the long term, it's one of those you have to know what could go wrong to send this stock Marina lower. numbers were crazy low, right? And so touch on that a little bit. I know Justin Bieber news, Tony was like, is that the Avi indicator? I don't think so. I mean, and you agreed. I don't think that Justin Bieber is going to be that big. Maybe if they got the pop stars in, in Korea 
that could have been a little bit bigger for them. But just talk yeah. about the the numbers here, right? So what happened with Garino? They had earnings last week, so let's digest that a bit. So this is what we talked about. Um, I I followed C Limited since you know the original IPO filing, and you know it's been a growth machine for a very long time now. The issue is, as you mentioned, Garina is the profitable unit that the company was originally founded on. And this was, you know, like the big unit that fed everything else. It's kind of like if you think of Amazon with AWS, this cash flow machine that allows them to lose money on other fronts or take all these additional risks that eventually could pay off and produce their own cash flow. So that was Garina for C Limited. The problem was we saw that it was no longer bulletproof in the first quarter of this year. So on the last episode, I said, watch this gaming unit very closely because if you take away, you know, the cash cow unit, you then have to think, oh crap, we are going to basically be burning our cash on hand or, you know, cash and cash equivalents as you're looking at it on top of, you know, this additional unit that's becoming an issue. So as soon as we saw, it was funny, the company reported, I think it's around 7 a.m. And I looked at the numbers and you see top line immediately deceleration from 64.4% growth in the first quarter to 29% in the second quarter. So immediately, you're just slapped in the face with a major slowdown. Then you go down and you see, okay, e-commerce, good, 51% growth. Still not what it used to be. Then you go to digital entertainment, which is Garena. And I hate when companies don't show a decrease, like the negative growth. They'll just say gap revenue was $900.3 million compared to $1 billion for the second quarter of 2021. So it's like, okay, that was down significantly. Then you go and you look at bookings and it was, it was not good on that front either. So essentially exactly what I was looking for. And as soon as I saw that, and I saw that in the pre-market and I was kind of going through, I talked to some buddies that also follow it. We were kind of shocked that the stock wasn't being decimated in the pre-market. So it was down, you know, five, 6%. And then it immediately was rebounding. So I used that opportunity where I was like, you know, everything I thought that could be bad was bad. And that's when, you know, I have to follow my game plan and execute to where I'm going to start unloading the stake because... I thought this stock should be down 20, 30% on this report, like something drastic because of the slowdown, because the profitability on the horizon, it just seemed like profitability is further and further away. So that, that's what I use. I use that opportunity, started unloading that stake. And I, I was confident with that decision. And you know, since the open that day, and even the days since, it's just continued this downtrend. I think it could continue lower. I don't really see... You know, Justin Bieber is the catalyst they really need, even though you look at kind of like what he did with the Crocs brand and everything. Not a believer, dude. I, I think Justin Bieber is, is a monster when it comes to marketing. And yeah, he has a massive following, but I don't know if he could save a company this big. So revenue, $2.9 billion, up 29%. Gross profit, $1.1 billion, up 17%. Adjusted EBITDA down 17%. Net income down 20%. And Ray Dalio bought 400, almost 460,000 shares. Yeah. So, so here's a big thing. And I like to, you know, find like uh, another company to pin something against. So what I'll always do is with C Limited, when it comes to international e-commerce, I kind of put them in the same, not the same class, but kind of like the same boat as Mercado Libre. And as soon as I saw these C Limited numbers and I compare it to a Mercado Libre, which, you know, last quarter they reported... It was 56% top line growth on a FX neutral basis, profitable. You see the total payment volume of Mercado Pago up 80% plus merchandise volume. Like everything about the company was great. It's profitable. Everything's trending in the right direction. Then you compare that to C Limited. It's growing slower. It's losing money. It's, you know, all these headwinds that they're facing. It just showed me that Mercado Libre is a far superior company especially in this type of market where money is no longer free and you can't be that money losing stock and still attract investors. So that's when I was looking, I was like, you know, there's no reason I should have, you know, as much money in C limited or, or, you know, as much exposure to C limited as Mercado Libre, let alone, you know, there are much better companies that could, you know, take its place in my own portfolio because I completely not, a, not that I completely lost confidence to C-Limited earlier this year, 
but you know, it was waning. And then this report was kind of like the breaking point where, you know, it, it's kind of like one that I'll revisit in the future to see if things improve, but because things continue to trend in the wrong direction, I think this is one that I can kind of just throw on the watch list now, keep tracking. And then if things improve, I'm more than willing to, you know, not try to catch the bottom, but buy it on a run back up. If the fundamentals improve or if something happens that gets everybody um, back on board. But, you know, if I want international e-commerce, not only Mercado Libre, if I want like the pure plate outside of the US, but like we talked about on the last episode, you know, like our KISS method with Amazon, they're expanding in Africa. They have their presence in uh, South America. They've got their presence in Asia to where I feel like we don't have to res resort to investing in C limited at this point, as much as it pains me to say, because like I said, you know, I've been around this stock since the IPO and was one of the original people following it. It's, it's just not the company that it once was, or it not so much that it's not the company it once was, it's not the growth story and, you know, long-term potential that it once was because they haven't been able to handle headwinds as well as they could have. And I know this was your entire 401k, as we talked about in previous episodes. You now have since moved into a different stock, of course. But, you know, was this the catalyst, uh, the earnings? You said Garena obviously would be like the AWS falling or, or not missing their marks here for Amazon. Like that potentially could happen, of course, if, if that does happen with AWS at some point. So was that like the, the final nail in the coffin for you? So the massive contraction or negative growth in Garena was a glaring issue. I think the... The deciding factor for me was seeing the top line growth decelerate from 60s to 20s with the massive losses they're still incurring. So what I always do is you don't want to fall in love with a company. You have to stick with like the fundamentals and even the growth rates. So if I take a step back and I take the ticker off, take the company name off, I see a company growing at 29%. That was a deceleration from the 60%, still losing a lot of money. I'm looking at this and saying, you know, I do not want to own this. And if I compare that to say Mercado Libre, Amazon, any of these other companies that I have significant holdings in, and I compare it, it's like, why would I want to hold this when I, I could own more of that? And as soon as I was doing comparisons, I, I don't even think C Limited would be in my top 20 right now, which is, which is incredibly sad to say based on where I would have had this company on my list, you know, two years ago. It's just, yeah, I think the massive deceleration paired with the losses that it just made it, you can't stomach it at this point. And like I've said, you know, I have parts of my portfolio where I'll take, you know, like your diamond in the rough type plays. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, C Limited is just not one that I need to own at this point. And yeah, I'll always watch it. It's always going to be on my uh, watch list, checking in on earnings and all that. But I'm more than happy, like you said, you know, completely shifting my 401k, which was just C limited for many years into a company I, I much more believe in. And it's been on, you know, an incredible run, but I think the future is bright. And we'll talk about that more on a future episode. We'll leave that as like a teaser. Yeah, I was going to say, SC is now not, no longer a beach stock. That's going to be an island stock where it just kind of sits on the side for a little bit. Let's touch on retail from last week. The big names that reported, Target, they kind of missed their mark. Walmart did really well. Uh, Home Depot, Lowe's. So we got a few coming up this week as well with Nordstrom's, Victoria's Secret, Ulta as well that we'll be touching on here in just a bit. But let's recap last week. Yeah, so it was a good week for retail. It was, I mean, it was big with Home Depot and Lowe's, both great results. Walmart, very good. Target kind of missed the mark, but it's not like we didn't see a major bloodbath. I think retail was more in focus, you know, the last two earnings reports because it was kind of shockingly bad and people didn't expect the supply chain or like the consumer change in what they're shopping for as quickly as they were, you know, going towards lower margin grocery items over the higher margin consumer electronics. So it kind of caught a lot of people off guard. This time it was more in line with what people were expecting. So you know, Walmart surged on it. Uh, Home Depot and Lowe's both had good performances. They might have, I think Lowe's ended up a little bit. Home Depot might have been flat and Target was down a little bit. But I feel like retail is more in that like just treading water type state right now. But it's good to see that they are not taking significant hits from here or like their headwinds were not unforeseen. Like the, everything that happened, they were kind of like preparing for and making their adjustments. So 
that was good overall to see retail kind of being able to to figure it all out quickly and especially with those companies but like you said we've got more on the horizon this week so i'll be interested to see you know like a like a dicks and macy's or like even a victoria's secret usually has some good commentary and even petco on like the pets front it'll be very interesting to kind of see what they have to say i was i was I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I was going to say for Victoria's Secret, there's like a Netflix coming out or it's already out. And then the, my wife was showing me this TikTok star who's like basically trying to cancel Victoria's Secret. I haven't seen the documentary, so I don't want to speak too far out of turn. But basically the premise is that Victoria's Secret was is owned by a, a male. Uh, so I think there's probably a lot more behind that. But I wonder if that will have any negative impact at all or if people are just caring about the numbers ultimately. How I saw the history of Victoria's Secret was, yeah, Roy Raymond founded it, like, I thought because, like, his wife had issues finding, you know, certain things. I'll have to look up, like, what it was, but then he actually sold it to, who did he end up selling it to? He sold it to that billionaire guy, but also a male. I mean, that's, oh, yeah, Lex West. Les Wexner. Wexner. He owns all of Ohio, pretty much. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's an odd way to go about and canceling. I think the original, like, when people stop shopping because it's, like, it wasn't more of, like, a body-positive type brand. I think they were, Victoria's Secret was right alongside plastic straws with the first thing Woke America wanted to cancel. Um, and I feel like they were so early in being canceled that we kind of forgot about it. So, yeah, I think it's that kind of... documentary, here we go. It's Angels and Ooh. Demons. We'll watch that and, and touch on it a little bit more. <laughs> and then uh, another cancel that hasn't been canceled yet is Banana Republic. Gap's reporting later. I'm surprised the cancel culture hasn't gone after Banana Republic and what that actually stands for as well. So that may be coming down the line of cancel so culture. I think, you know, there's a lot of companies that had to change their name over the years based on some like negative connotation. I remember one of the worst ones of all time is there used to be a company, Isis Therapeutics. Yeah, And when originally ISIS like surfaced and this was a big issue, they came out and said, you know, we're not changing our name. We're not going to let, you know, terrorism dictate what our company name is. And then as things got worse and worse, they, they changed their name. So, um, I mean, it's, I, I didn't even think about Banana Republic until you brought that up to me before, but yeah, it's one of those, maybe they, they take another look at that, but yeah, ISIS therapeutics became Ionis pharmaceuticals as one example so i mean it's easy for companies to change name long term and and still maintain <laughs> maintain their base but i mean i don't think i've ever shopped at that store so i don't even know who their target consumer is that's me dude i, I got some shorts <laughs> Do you? Like, yeah, I thought, are they like hawaiian shirts or something like no it's it's like a abercrombie and fitch for uh adults. Oh, okay. that's a documentary you got to watch the one on abercrombie and fitch yeah on netflix all right. Are you seeing that I, one? I, no, I gotta check it out. It's called some. It's called White in the Closet. Hot. Called White Hot: The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. It it was very good and kind of like eye opening. Man, we're just we're just giving out streaming news. This is going away. Yeah, from right. Like this episode is brought to you by Netflix. Another one I wanted to touch on though is Bill.com because you've been talking about that for a while and I've never actually looked into it, but they've been ripping recently, and so. Their client base is mostly like SMB, right? Because we actually get, use it for the podcast for some of our sponsors. And then I was saying like, what's the parallel here? And you were talking about Intuit, which we'll touch on here in just a second with QuickBooks. So Bill.com, I remember they priced their IPO. This was back in, I think, 2019. And it priced in the 20s. It had a very strong first open. But yeah, the stock's sitting, you know, 170s, 180s. Actually, I think it reached upper 200s, maybe even 300s at one point, like during that run-up. It was crazy, but... You know, since their IPO, the growth's accelerated. This most recent quarter was incredible. Core revenue up 151%, transaction fees up 201%, like amazing. And they've been making very smart acquisitions. They acquired Divi and Invoice to go, and I'm sure they're going to continue doing that. So it is, it's quite an operation. And I was looking, even their outlook going forward. So they just finished this last fiscal year. And for fiscal 2023, it's another year they're expecting around 50% top line growth. And I mean, it's amazing to see kind of what they're doing. I thought their outlook would kind of have to be sandbagged because, you know, all these small, medium-sized businesses that are being forced to lay people off or seeing slow mm -hmm. growth, but no. And on top of that, you know, they're turning, they're turning that, that leaf into from profitability into what could be massive profitability in the years ahead. 
the issue here is after this latest pop, I mean, I forget how much the stock was up this past week, but it, you know, is significant. Now it's to where you look at a price to sales basis and yes, they are profitable. So you can kind of start looking at other ways to value this company. It's richly valued at this point. So where I love the company, love the growth prospects, it's hard for me to purchase right here because I'm thinking, you know, could it run another 10, 20% in this market? The market's had such a significant run since the June 16th low. That is one of those, I just kind of like put it higher on my watch list or, you know, potential buy list because it continues to deliver and it's got plenty of catalysts ahead. But I want to, I guess, either see more out of the company, you know, make another big acquisition that could accelerate growth. Or, but I did make the parallel because, you know, Bill.com, when I was originally researching this company at the IPO, I saw it was like one of the most popular billing slash invoicing apps on the Intuit platform. Think of like QuickBooks is Intuit's QuickBooks, TurboTax, and some other ones, what Credit Karma and so on. So I always thought, you know, it would be smart for Intuit to buy the companies in their app store that are, are you know, becoming, I guess, you know, high growth engines within their marketplace, you know, almost use their own data to acquire businesses. So think like Amazon buys iRobot because, you know, it's such a popular product on their platform. Or like if Salesforce buys, you know, Tableau or these other companies that could be perfectly integrated into their platform. QuickBooks getting more into the payments game, I feel like Bill.com would have been a perfect acquisition. Or even like had they acquired Avalara before it got taken out by private equity, you know, the perfect bolt-ons to their platform. And I was even thinking the same with Shopify and Global E, which had another great quarter this past week. So there's a lot of these companies, I think, as valuations have taken a hit that could be perfect takeover targets or bolt-on acquisitions for larger corporations. But, you know, Bill.com is so richly valued that it wasn't down in the dumps and got stupid cheap to where they could get scooped by, you know, larger, a larger player in the space. So it was an incredible quarter, incredible run, but I'm still skeptical. You know, could it go back to its, you know, 52-week high or previous high? I think that'd be a bit of a stretch. Warren Buffett section. He's been in the news quite a bit, picking up shares of Amazon, which we'll talk about. Uh, obviously, Occidental Petroleum, so ticker symbol OXY. So he's going after, is it like 50% now of Oxy he owns or something? So as of now, he owns 20.2% as of that last, like, uh, going after filing. or something. But yeah, this past week, he got approval to buy up to, I think, 50% of the company. Because the, so like in certain situations, you or when it comes to certain percentages, like you have to like ask for permission. And I think like a guy like Warren Buffett, you know, there's different hurdles you have to jump through. And what's funny is I remember when he first took the Occidental stake and I was like watching CNBC and they're kind of thinking, what is this guy doing? You know, it's such a, a poorly run company. Why would he want to get into this? And then you see like, it's had an incredible run. And once I actually dug deeper this past week, you know, once it was in the news, I never really messed with energy all that much. Um, I used to own some utilities early in the day, but, you know, I never really messed with companies like this. And when I was looking, you know, it's one of the leaders in carbon capture technology. And you keep hearing like all these big corporations going with, you know, these carbon credits and all this stuff. So, you know, it could be, you know, quite significant when it comes to these carbon capture facilities, partnering with all these big companies, not to mention, if Warren Buffett owns 50% of the company or eventually owns all of it, he could have that company then essentially partner with all of his other portfolio companies to reduce their carbon footprint. Like, it's pretty impressive. And then on top of everything else that they do. But yeah, once again, it's Warren Buffett coming out of nowhere with a stock that people question and then just making an insane return. Not to mention, you know, all these preferred stock and warrants that he could he also owns $10 billion of Occidental preferred stock and has warrants to buy another 83.9 million common shares for $5 billion for $59.62 a piece. So, you know, if this stock keeps raging and he's got all these other warrants, like who knows what he could end up doing with this stake. But again, it shows why, you know, he's one of the goats. There's a really great thread I saw on Twitter. It's, I think it's at default trades here. So they spent the second most in corporate lobbying, 20 million behind Amazon this year, right? And then to your point, they're going to be building 69 carbon capture facilities. So that's 12.4 billion in tax write-offs this year. So that's what Buffett's doing. He's checking to see who's pulling the strings. We always joke about Nancy Pelosi, but 
these guys are playing chess, you know, months and years in advance, looking to see what laws are going to be taking place. Well, and Warren Buffett, you know, he, I think we all know he's a very smart investor. So, you know, he finds these companies that are incredibly good at one thing, but then could be significantly bigger in another space. So I think, you know, he probably liked the core operation of Oxy, but then you throw in this carbon capture, kind of like, you know, the future and what all these companies are buying. And he could probably see what's in this pipeline. And, you know, someone like him acquiring a significant stake and, you know, all the money he's going to pump in there. I mean, it's, if he wanted to acquire this entire company one day, and then, yeah, have Berkshire being like the leader in carbon capture technology and, you know, all, all the tax benefits on top of that. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And again, I wish when carbon capture technology and all this stuff, you know, first popped up, I would have done some more research to figure out, you know, leading players. But because it's becoming such a hot topic when it mm -hmm. comes to like this whole green energy and all this stuff, I do want to find more plays on this space. And I think we should almost do a separate podcast. Like, you know, bring out, find a play. cool guest too. That's someone that I actually know a few people that are, that are big in that space. If anyone's listening that knows someone big in that space, we'd love to bring them on. Cause I, I do think that's obviously the trend that we're seeing with this whole global warming climate change that's coming up. So that'd be interesting to, to touch on for sure. The last thing here on Warren Buffett, he bought shares of Apple, Amazon, got out of Verizon. So once famous for like not getting into the tech scene, obviously over time has been getting into it more and more, but he just bought a bunch of Amazon and a bunch of Apple. Yeah. So I see, you know, he added to his stake in Apple and then he brought his stake in Amazon to 10.7 million shares from, I think it was from just 700,000 shares. Cause yeah, it shows. He picked up more than 10 million shares to give it nearly 10.7 million shares. So, you know, it was the smaller stake that they had, but now it's larger one. And, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit in recent weeks. I think Amazon and Google are kind of headed towards being added to the Dow. I think, you know, this would happen in the next couple of weeks if they're going to do that rebalancing. Not that Warren Buffett would only do that because it's being added to the Dow. But, you know, Warren was always almost criticized because he was so late to buying Apple. It was almost like, you know, after this massive company, why are you just now building the stake? And you see, uh, you know, the company's risen significantly since to where it's a massive piece of Berkshire's portfolio. I think he will do the same with companies like Amazon and Google, not so much like a meta, but he could be very late, quote unquote, to, you know, this train. But because they have such significant growth potential going forward, I think these are ones that he's going to be adding to his stakes in and could build up big long-term. It's funny. Amazon and Oxy, the two top lobbyists. Let's get into earnings. Zoom and Palo Alto here on Monday. So Zoom was one that I actually owned for a while. I actually recently sold because I just kept hearing more and more friends of mine that used to have Zoom, Microsoft Teams now. And that for me was a little bit of an indicator, just hearing companies switching over because I, I knew that Microsoft was giving it away for free just to kind of lure people over. And then eventually we'll start to make a big revenue stream for them. I was thinking monkeypox was going to be a bigger deal than it ended up being. And, and we'll see if it continues, right? It still, it hasn't gone away yet, but I think just lockdowns and things like that have not happened yet. And I think more and more people are waking up, so maybe it won't happen. Right. And then combined with Microsoft for me, I thought was just a reason to kind of take a step back, but what are your thoughts here? Cause they're, they're on Monday, they're going to be uh, releasing their earnings. So Zoom, it, it seems incredibly cheap from where it was. The problem is exactly what you said. You know, Zoom's a one-trick pony, as I like to say. It does one thing, it's like video chats. And yeah, it's very good. But if you put Zoom next to Google Meets, next to Microsoft Teams, like I see no difference. And I use Google the most of late. Like almost every meeting I'm in, it seems to be one of these Google Meets. And, and they work perfectly. Even like on Slack, you can call people and FaceTime that way. So I think Microsoft's kind of doing the, you know, your margins, my opportunity type thing, like Jeff Bezos always said, where they can give this away for the longest time, package it within, you know, the whole Microsoft suite and give that away to have people not even need to get out of their ecosystem to go onto Zoom. But, you know, Zoom tried to do that big acquisition, what it was it, a 5.9 before, and that didn't work out. I think they need to do something big to get out of, you know, just this video and give them more significant within like the, the call center space. I know like Zoom phone and all that was growing fast, but I think they need something more. Geez, even like, you know, Twilio has been beaten so badly. I feel like 
they got to make some sort of big splash that makes sense to get them bigger into the whole communication space. And this is why uh, I don't know if I said this on a podcast or just like to people on Twitter, but I always thought that Zoom should have been the one trying to acquire Slack when they had that very overvalued stock because they would have become like the gold standard in enterprise communication with both video and messaging. Like imagine the Zoom and Slack combo, but you know, yeah. uh, it was Salesforce knew what Slack was really worth, scooped them up quick. I think Zoom definitely needs to figure something out. And it's one that I was even looking at with you this past week when I saw, you know, trending dip below 100. Like, it seems very attractive. But like I always do, if I'm looking to buy something, I'll look at everything I already own and say, well, do I want to buy this or would I rather add to something I already own? And three stocks I already owned would have beat it out to where I was like, okay, I don't need to buy this. I'm actually going to buy more of this. And, and that's actually what I did. I, I bought more of a stock that I had compared it to and, you know, just beefed up that position. So I will be watching it closely, but I'm actually more interested to see the other company after the close on money, which is Palo Alto Networks, because, you know, cybersecurity is such an incredible space right now in terms of growth because of, you know, everything going on with Russia, rising tensions with China, all this stuff where, you know, cyber threats galore. It seems like everybody's trying to hack everyone that you have to have, you know, the Palo Alto Networks or, you know, one of my largest holdings, I think it's top three is CrowdStrike that's going to be a heavy influence on CrowdStrike. And uh, I also want to kind of see commentary related to, you know, how they think things are going. So then I have a better pulse of the industry because, you know, even like a Zscaler or, you know, Cloudflare, where they have the cybersecurity aspects that I'm very interested in, in learning more about. They got VMware too, I think on Thursday. We touched on Intuit already. So Tuesday, uh, from a macro perspective, new home sales is going to be coming up here. Dick's Sporting Goods and Macy's, so another big retailers right there. But Wednesday's the day we're looking at, right? We got NVIDIA, Salesforce, Snowflake, Victoria's Secret, which you mentioned already. And then Petco is another retailer. But I'm really curious to see what happens with NVIDIA. Obviously, we're touching on with Nancy selling off her shares before she went over to Taiwan. Where do you think that one's going to go? Again, that that's for me, that's a stock 10 years from now is going to be a banger for sure. But short term, I think there are some areas that they've already talked about where they could see some headwinds coming up. I agree with you. This is one of those, you look at everything that NVIDIA has their hands in and what their products like are used for, everything, it, it just screams the future. That I think, yeah, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and think this is one of the best buying opportunities. But like you said, there are some significant risks in the near term, especially like, yeah, everything that you see regarding Taiwan that I think they need to do something more to reduce the risk that's associated with Taiwan. And I know like this CHIPS Act is supposed to be something right. related to that. But the problem is Taiwan semiconductor is so critical to the entire right? semiconductor industry that there's nothing you could do, I think, in like the next five years to build up anything in the United States that could even offset half of what TSMC does. So mm -hmm. I don't want people to like, I guess, underestimate just how critical Taiwan is to the semiconductor space. But again, I, I think, you know, NVIDIA, NVIDIA is one of those incredible companies that we, you and I even talked about it this past week, like it's top five on the watch list for companies I want to take a stake in. I just can't do it, especially when I looked and I saw that they report earnings on Wednesday where I'm like, I don't want to buy a company going right into earnings, especially if I have some question marks. I'd rather figure out every question mark I have about it going into it and then see if they could answer it. Just like we did with C Limited, and I know I had a stake, but it's one of those where here's everything I need to see to continue holding it, but here's the one big red flag that I'm looking for that if I see it, it gives me almost like authorization to cut and run. So I'm going to kind of like develop that game plan for NVIDIA. And I'm going to have something similar with even like a snowflake because it is, you know, one of those incredible growth stories for the future. But I want to see their commentary on Outlook when it comes to these companies that you keep seeing are like doing layoffs or, you know, it's not the greatest news when it comes to employment in the tech space. I want to see their comments on how they see their largest customers and usage. Yeah, I mean, the Taiwan news kind of, you know, slowed down a little bit, but I was just pulling it up, right? Taiwan's welcoming more leaders right now. There's news that Z literally asked Biden directly to not let Pelosi come visit. So 
I think this is far from over and short term. It, it, we'll see on Wednesday if everyone in the market's thinking. All right, another huge behemoth, I always call it like the warship of Salesforce. They're also reporting here on Wednesday. So that's one I've always talked about in terms of like being able to pull out Salesforce. You have all of your customer information in there. You can't just do that overnight. So that, if they ever go down, is going to take a long, long time, I think, in my opinion. Like I say, it's kind of like that warship. But where's your head? I don't know if you've been touching Salesforce. I don't hear you talk about it too much. So I don't even know if you own it, but. I do not own it, but it is one that, again, you know, I pair its top 10 on my watch list right now, just because it's come down so significantly from its highs while it's continued to deliver on earnings. You know, it's always shown that 20% plus growth, free cash flow machine, like it's an incredible operation. And like you said, it checks the box of mission critical. Like if tomorrow you made Salesforce go away, companies are going to be absolutely crippled, like absolutely crippled when it comes to their customer information. Like it's so critical to the enterprise, not to mention enterprise communication with Slack, uh, Tableau when it comes to actually pulling data from things. Like it's such an important company that I think this is incredibly attractive right now. But again, it's so close to earnings that I kind of want to go through this and you know look at all the different valuation metrics try to poke some holes in the story and then look at this most recent quarter and see you know what their outlook is going forward because last quarter they updated their full year revenue guidance to 31.7 to 31.8 billion which is up about 20 percent year over year now if they were forced to cut that outlook and you see their growth go from the 20s to the high teens that could cause a little ripple in the market to where people are like wow this company is no longer growing and even like the 20s anymore now it's teens like what that would do to the overall valuation enterprise. So I think that's the primary concern with them is their outlook. But, you know, it is one of those companies that I know any near-term pressure will be a long-term opportunity. So I will be like all over this one. And that's the problem with Wednesday afternoon is having NVIDIA, having Salesforce, having Snowflake, like three companies I'm very, very interested in learning more about. And, you know, seeing the updated results that I'm going to have my work cut out that afternoon. <laughs> You're talking about some of their acquisitions and just being in tech for so long. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't make the acquisition and then it's already kind of in the system. You're already selling it. Right. And so MuleSoft, Datarama was 2018, Tableau, Click Software in 2019, 2020, they bought Evergage and Velocity. And then we were just talking about Slack. That was in 2021, it finalized. Right. And so... That's going to take a while for them to get everything fully integrated. They're still like making the adjustments in the earnings reports. You can see, you know, what impact Slack had on things. But yeah, it, I remember I owned Slack when it got acquired. I owned uh, MuleSoft when it got acquired. Where yeah, like it seemed like Salesforce was always coming after my companies. And I feel like because it's such a monster in the space, and if their growth were to decelerate into the high teens. You know, Mark Benioff's not going to stand by and just watch that. Like he is one of the greatest CEOs of all time. I've always said, you know, if there was a Mount Rushmore of software, he's going to be on it. That yeah, he's a beast. Like, he, he, he's an absolute monster. So why does I he turn he's over? Because he's turning that over soon, right? Or has he already? Well, isn't he like co-CEO already to where he's always relinquished some power? But mm. I do think, you know, he's going to be searching for his next big acquisition. I don't think he's going to be sitting on his hands for too long. Nah, or running for uh, president. I know he's, there's always jokes about him running for mayor of San Francisco. So Brett Taylor. He's really into uh, trees right now. I think he's going to be more into planting trees than running for office in the near term. <laughs> Snowflake's a big one. That's a, a company that was massive out of their IPO, came down quite a bit, but it's one of those like net retention monsters that we always talk about where they just continue to grow within their current base in addition to getting new business, right? So where do you see them coming out of here on Wednesday? So that's what we kind of touched on before where, yeah, they've been growing like absolute crazy. And you look at kind of what they've been doing as opposed to their total addressable market. It's incredible. And, you know, this is one of the great growth stories and Frank Slootman being inserted in them going to the IPO. You know, he's the guy that helped build up uh, service now. So, they, I mean, they've got the right product, the right team. But I really want to see, like I said, you know, there's been layoffs across all these huge tech companies. 
And if companies are pulling back on spend and Snowflake kind of being one of those usage-based products, I want to see if they can retain their outlook. Now, if they beat and raise, it could be off to the races. If they beat and maintain, it could take a hit. If they beat and reduce, I think it could be like a bloodbath. So it, it's one of those like coin toss type situations. Like we even saw where Datadog reported an incredible quarter. The outlook was sandbags and, you know, the stock originally took a hit before rebounding. I think Datadog was able to do that because it generates significant free cash flow and is a, you know, a profitable enterprise where Snowflake's, you know, turning the corner on profitability and going to generate significant free cash flow, but isn't like the same situation as uh, a Datadog, like as significant. So I want to see kind of where they're at when it comes to that. Because, yeah, if you look at, you know, like adjusted free cash flow uh, outlook for certain quarters, like Snowflake could be an absolute beast. And I'm very interested to see what they report. I like them long-term for sure. This earnings will be interesting. I mean, management had guided down, right? They said their outlook's baked in cautious views due to uncertain environment. Uh, and so, yeah, this will be an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on here, but that's another beast company five, 10 years out. I think that's going to be one that we'll uh, take a look back on. This whole fiscal year, they're actually looking at 65 to 75% revenue growth and then adjusted free cash flow margin of 16%. So that's the thing, like if they pull it off, then I would put this in the same class as a data dog, even though I think it's growing a little bit faster on the top line. But if they have to reduce that, my problem would be if those growth rates come down and that free cash flow comes down to a lower number, then I'm almost doing like a comparison is would I want to own a significant stake in Snowflake where I'd, I'd rather, you know, beef up a position in like a data dog or something like that. So that's where I'm trying to. Even though we've had a large run in this market since June, I'm still treating this market as if it's a bear market rally. So, you know, picking your spots and where you want to take risk, like, you know, the Datadog valuation in the 80s was very attractive as it, it runs into, you know, the 105, 110 range. You know, the valuation again almost starts getting stretched out. And you have to, you know, play that game to where you could trim here, add there. And, and I want to almost have the snowflake quarter to compare to a data dog to see, you know, which one would I rather have, or would I be better off, you know, almost having like half positions in each. So it's always that allocation and position game that I'm playing. And I put snowflake right alongside almost like a data dog when it comes to beasts within like the data management space. So that's the main thing that I want to look for to kind of compare those two. I don't know if you want to touch on Petco. That one's also reporting on Wednesday, but Thursday is also huge. We got the initial and continuing jobless claims as well as the real GDP coming out. So that one to me is going to be interesting because last report, we saw that in terms of new jobs coming on, once we looked under the hood, we saw a lot of those were part-time jobs. So I don't know if it's too soon to see a decline here, you know, in terms of jobless claims, but that's something to definitely watch. I think in the coming reports that if these are part-time jobs, do they stick around more because they're part-time jobs and people are doing maybe Uber and things like that? Yeah, I'm very interested to see the same, I guess, metrics. Yeah, the whole jobless claim. And actually, like, what I would recommend is kind of like we talked on the last episode. Whenever you see that original headline, don't take that as the actual number. Make sure you click it, go through it, and read more details to see, you know, what's actually in there. Um, the headlines can be deceiving. But I think, you know, the other things on Thursday is like, I'd love to see what Peloton thinks, given all their recent initiatives to, to slash costs, affirm after the close. I know they've been touting, you know, the Amazon partnership quite a bit, but, you know, the buy now, pay later space is, has taken a beating. So I think, you know, long-term Max Lepskin might just need to like call up, you know, the company originally found PayPal and, and, and try to sell out to them or, or if Square wants to buy them and add them to the afterpay unit. But the other big one is Workday. So, you know, you think about all these layoffs, and, you know, people not having the headcount or these companies not having the headcounts they once have, you know, human capital management, if they're paying like by the employer, like number of employees, you know, is Workday going to see a significant decrease in usage as companies slow hiring or stop entirely and then start doing layoffs? Because I feel like it's one of those you want to land and expand with growing companies. And if those companies start laying off, 
you know, human capital management and the humans are on the decline, it's not the best situation. So I'm very interested to see what they have to say and kind of pairing them with like a paycom or pay loss city to see if they're all experience the same thing or if there's like one great company that really sticks out. I want to talk about Alta real quick because I go into Sephora and Alta all the time. My wife, you know, I, I sit and play with my phone, but I'm seeing more and more guys enter into these beauty areas. And so no that's joke. something to kind yeah, of watch up. actually, right? Like I no. think there's going to be a whole new market that is going to continue to grow upward for beauty supplies. And, and I don't know if my wife's a, a big enough indicator here, but I it's just, you see all these women constantly, you know, buying makeup, right? And now if men start to enter this, I don't know. No. So <laughs> I was going to bring up the same point. So it's just like Lululemon, you know, it's geared towards women and now right. men freaking love it. Like, so I do CrossFit, shout out to CrossFit BOB in Woodbridge, Virginia. So almost all the guys there are decked out in Lululemon shorts because they're just so incredibly comfortable. Like it, the way- I have so many pants. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, and it's one of those, it started as like the female focused brands and then men started catching on and that men's line's growing like crazy. And that's one of the initiatives for Lululemon to continue growing or, you know, over like the next 10 years. Like their plan is, yes, keep growing in the women's space in footwear, but like the men's space is gonna be huge for them. So, you know, I was sitting at my daughter's soccer practice. Uh, my in-laws flew up for uh, you know, like the last weekend before school starts up here. And, you know, my father-in-law needed to stop in and get something for a trip that he's going on. And I needed to get something like uh, for my hair. And so we were talking like, oh, where could we stop in? And immediately it became Ulta. And we had this conversation like, yeah, it used to be like, yeah, men just going with their wives and checking things out. And then it realized like, oh, wow, they actually have a lot of stuff for us too. Then it, it's almost like, I think, you know, a lot of this has to do with you're on Zoom meetings or uh, Google Meet meetings, Microsoft Teams mm -hmm. as much as I am to where you're kind of staring at yourself on the screen a lot. And you're like, damn, my hairline is receding more or- uh, you gotta go to that one. I, could, <laughs> oh, I, I can talk there. Fair enough, fair enough, fair existent. enough. And I was like looking at stuff like I could put because it grows in so weirdly if I don't shave it, you know, as quick. I was like, maybe I could add something here to where it doesn't look as horrible as it slowly grows out. Literally why I was gonna stop it all to this past weekend. But then, yeah, you're realizing like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have some sort of like lotion I put on at night. Or, and, and so men are becoming more conscious. And I think it has to do with a lot of us like staring at ourselves in this meetings. Like, why am I the ugliest person in this meeting? And, right. and I was thinking like, what could I do to kind of like improve this? Well, and so, filters, do you think have, have a role here too? Like everyone's putting filters on their Instagram and then they like want to look like that more and they like realize they need to look like it more. It definitely could be the negative impact of like, you know, TikTok, Instagram that we almost saw like those government filings where they had uh, Facebook on the Hill, like, you know, people being more down on themselves because they see nonstop models. Like that's all you ever see on these platforms. And they say like, look, this is a very small fraction of the population. It's just all you see because that's mm -hmm. what sells. So it's like, yeah, you got all these, these, you know, perfect specimens that are pushing the same products, but you know, they're just getting paid for it that people are finding other ways to almost like improve their own images. And, you know, to that, I say, you know, you know, find a great workout program, whatever you're going to do, stay active, do all that, do, do your own personal care on top of that, but be the best you for you, not because you want to be someone that you were, you saw scrolling on TikTok. Love it. Uh, do you want to touch Farfetch or not? So Farfetch is a company I own in the past. I completely blew out of this a very long time ago. It luckily before the, like the significant decline, because you know, you could see as multiples were contracting significantly, it wasn't even all that expensive on like a price to sales or you know, the path to profitability was clear with this one. It's just, you know, when I was reevaluating every holding of mine, it's one that I was like, you know, I'm okay with seeing where this ends up for revisiting. Now it's so down in the dumps, the valuation seems so incredibly attractive. They have a lot of exposure to China through some partnerships with them. So it, it's kind of, you know, kept me away from it for now. But, you know, it's one of those where if they report great, this could be up 30, 40%. Or if it reports bad, it could be setting new lows that it's one that I'm simply going to watch. And I really want to see where the growth rate's at, where they're at in their, in their like, I guess, path to profitability, if they're going to need layoffs, what they're experiencing. But typically in recession, any type of time, luxury brands don't 
have the same impact as like a uh, like a Ross or a TJ Maxx because you know rich people continue to do rich people sure. things even in bad times because they're so rich. Now, I'm not saying like the the average far fetched user is incredibly rich, but you look at the average purchase price and you know it's going to be upper middle class. That I feel like they are not getting pinched as much as you know like a Ross or TJ Maxx chopper or even like a mm-hmm. Burlington or Big Lots that you've seen down in the dumps. So I'll be interested to see where the growth rate's at, but I don't think this is a significant growth story as it once was. And I've kind of thought that, you know, like a Louis Vuitton or one of the big luxury brands that kind of wants a platform to acquire could look at this as like an easy bolt-on acquisition or even like a larger e-commerce player that kind of just wants to beef up their platform. Yeah. But, you know, I've always loved it from, I guess, like from the outside, but I've, I've literally never bought anything on the platform to really know from a consumer standpoint. I'm too cheap for that. But yeah, it's it's always one that I'm watching. It's funny because like you'd think like TJ Maxx and those ones at the surface would be good as the economy is starting to come down a little bit. People are going to flock to that. But well, you know what? Right. You know, I think it's, it's, it's funny that rich people, they don't really care as much about inflation. So they're on the news, like whatever, like, because they're not going to feel it. It's the middle class that will typically feel these so issues. What I would say is my favorite play in like retail. And I, I, I'd say like brick and mortar retail. And I don't, I don't really have exposure to any of that. Like my kids own, I think, Target and maybe Home Depot um, because they're like safer. You know, they don't need to take on the significant risk being seven and under in age. <laughs> but so Tanger Factory Outlets, SKT is the ticker. Yeah, yeah. They run all those outlet centers. It's got like a 4.7% yield. Valuation's not bad at all. So the great thing, and uh, I think Scott Tanger is his name. I forget the first name, but he was always on like Mad Money and CNBC. And he'll say, in great times, people love a deal. In bad times, people need a deal. And that's why his outlets are always so packed because, yeah, when everybody's like, think 2021 early on, Uh everybody feels rich because the market's doing nothing but going up. People love a deal. Oh, yeah, check out what I got. And then like times like now where, you know, recession, market in the dumps, everybody's like getting laid off. Like they need to go to outlets because they need a freaking deal so they can like continue living within their means. And I've always loved that. And I thought that is genius. They're like the outlets. They are. Always I just bought a pair of Oakley's right here, actually. I bought well, yeah, a pair of Oakley's like, for 75 bucks. They're usually 150. I was like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, and think of how far away you had to park. You probably had to like freaking valet to not have to walk a mile. I used to always go to the one in, uh, in Orlando and there was one in, uh, Orlando was not Tanger, but there was a Tanger, I think in like Daytona that my in-laws had gone to. And yeah, you're always parking so far away because that place is absolutely packed no matter when you go. Although I will uh, go against that because it was not that packed when I went. It was uh, Thursday at like 11 a.m. But the weekends are packed. After work hours, it's packed. But I do agree. It's like every every other time besides this last week, it's been packed. So pretty wild. So let's wrap it up here. We got Friday. We got the U Michigan sentiment index coming in. I really want to hear your sentiment coming into the week. We got a lot of big earnings as we discussed throughout the week. Wednesday being a huge day. Thursday, we got the jobless claims, as we mentioned. And then coming down a week on Friday, we have Jackson Hole, right? So that's going to be a big thing that everyone's going to be watching for, thinking ahead for. Where your mindset is, are you sitting around watching for the next week or what's going on in Joey's head? Yeah, so we we talked about this, you know, this past week in our group chat. And I feel like, man, we should really make our group chat like on a public basis because we, we have some gold in there. Um, but I was looking at it as a de-risking week. And what I was doing is, you know, I was trimming my positions that I was buying in, say, like June, July, that have just had these insane runs. And as much as I, I want this market to go higher, it's just one like it feels like we've been treading water for a little bit. And, you know, we started like this little downtrend that I just wanted to reposition some capital for some higher growth names into some names that I'm comfortable with, you know, like going into a weekend or you know, think of like the three-day weekends, you know, like a lot of people like mm-hmm. to position accordingly, like going into a long weekend, there's really no telling what it could do. That's kind of how I've been treating every Friday. And I was like, you know, I really want to take some of these higher multiple names off the plate and, you know, reposition that into a much safer company. And I could always change my mind on Monday and rotate back. Like I'm not going to be stuck on cost basis or, or stupid things like that. I just want to like have a nice comfortable weekend. I have my in-laws flying in. 
you know, the kids start school on Monday. Like I, I didn't want the market to be something that, that was impacting my mind or that I'm like looking at my phone during soccer practice or anything like that. So I took it as like a de-risking week. I feel like, you know, this market feels more shaky than it has been in, in, in recent weeks. I just feel like we were off to the races for the longest time. But, you know, I think we had a good earning season. We have some important reports this week. But I'm looking for like, you know, that next catalyst to really start bringing us out. And it could be the next Fed meeting and commentary from them. I don't know what it is, but I feel like, you know, we've had a nice run and I wanted to take advantage of it. Like we were down in the dump so badly for so long that having this positive momentum, I just wanted to take advantage of it and kind of like almost ring the register on some nice wins and put that capital into stocks that I don't think you know, if this market turns and say we it goes like 10, 15% lower, it's not one that, you know, these stocks are going to be making those same types of declines. I just want to insulate myself a little bit and, you know, kind of reevaluate as the weeks progress to where if I think, you know, I need to take on more risk than I will, or, hey, maybe I de-risk even more and just go into the safest names. So um, I would say, you know, kind of like do a gut check of everything you own Make sure you're still extremely confident in those names at the current valuations. Or if you're the people that, you know, you're invested for 20 years from now, you don't care what, what's going to happen in the near term, then just don't even look at all. But that's kind of where my head's at. And I know Avi Locks, you kind of have your own strategy. So where's your head at going in next week? Avi Locks has been pretty bearish on the market, but I'm, I'm in the same boat here. I'm, I'm shifted a lot over to stronger names recently. I think, you know, I learned a lot in 2020, thought I was the genius with stocks and just crushing it. And then I realized I didn't know a lot, right? And so I started to dig in more and more. And as I'm digging in, I like to use the beach stock analogy all the time of where I can go to the beach. I want the money to work for me. So I take a little different approach than like Tony, who's in front of his screen trading all day. I'm more of, let me just sit back and I'm kind of watching, you know, I always joke that there's going to be a summer run up into midterms. Democrats could say that, Hey, the economy is in a good spot. We're moving you know, forward. Things are going well. And, you know, so I'm kind of sitting and watching, I've moved my names into stronger names, similar to what you've been doing. And, you know, I still have some flyers out there with Embark and ShareCare that, you know, they're so, so low right now and they probably will go lower too. But, you know, I have a 5% for some of those rocket ships that could potentially take off. But <laughs> I'd say the majority is in safer names now. And, you know, coming up to this meeting on Friday, I just want to see. I would say, I guess, for the audience out there is I do write Avi when it comes to certain situations. So, like, you know, I'm all about, like, the KISS method of late. And if if I brings up a stock that isn't the most simple, I'm like, dude, this does not follow the KISS method. Like, this is something it has such, you know, like a, like a share care, you know, there, there's so many different variables within that company. It does, you know, all these different things. I'm thinking compare a share care to a Disney and it's like, okay, yeah, Disney's kiss all day. And you see the performances put up, how undervalued the stock is for the long term and something like that, that like, yeah, you have your beach stocks, then you have your high risk stocks. But I mean, that's, that's your risk profile. So I can't knock it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it's smart to have your money in safe stocks, obviously, right? And then there's the guy, I almost call them like the bragging stocks. It's like names that no one's talking about, the contrarian view of like, yo, I called that. Because you see it on FinTwit all the Delphi time. Is like, baby. People, yeah, that's your stock. You got that shit around early. But you know what I'm saying is you, you see people on FinTwit so often, just like, and I'm guilty of it as much as anyone, but like, you brag on the stocks that you're talking about. And sometimes to the point where you're, what you said in the beginning of the episode is like, you can't fall in love with the stock on ShareCare. I was like, fuck, I put it out there. This is my stock. I got to stick behind it. I did kind of the same thing with skills. And, you know, because of the podcast, I feel like I have to like hold on to it because it was one that I was like talking about a lot. And I think ultimately you can't fall in love with stocks for that very reason, because even though when it's going down and down and, you know, a lot of things have broken, got to take a foot off the gas at some points. So let's wrap this episode up though, Joey. We got a big week ahead. We got the boys from Jock Market, a really cool application, you know, mixing sports and the stock market coming up here next week. And so we'll be doing a little giveaway with them. That should be fun for some of our listeners. But Joey, anything last minute to, to share for the audience? Hey, I'd just say, keep doing your homework. Like I said, reevaluate all your positions. Make sure you're still as comfortable with them as you as you need to be. 
And yeah, if you're more like Avi, you want the beach stocks that you're not watching all day, check out the KISS method, you know, keep it simple, stupid. If you're one of those people that's in front of your computer all day, adjust your risk profile accordingly. But you know, we, we've had a nice run. Take advantage of it if you need to, if you're not as confident in the near term. But you know, we've got a heck of a week of earnings ahead of us, so it, it should be very interesting. So keep at it, stay strong, keep that stomach of steel. We'll get through this. And keep pounding the table. We will be back next week with another episode of Pounding the Table. How about this HSDT stock? Top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I.